This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is green and gold history. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. All right, because of Jed Lowry coming back again for the A's, we're going to do our top 10 A's who have made multiple stints in Oakland. Yeah, this is this is a great idea from uh, Captain Cody. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. And there's just been so many guys, and I'm sure every team has this, where you have players who had multiple stints with the club. And, and you think about why that is, is because if you draft a player, and you groom him, and he makes the majors with you, you're invested in this guy, and you like this guy. And then for whatever reason, free agency or a trade, he leaves, you're still not going to not like him. So when you have a chance to bring him back, you're going to take that opportunity to bring somebody you like back to your organization. And, you know, the A's have been – they've done it for a long time. And when you have a a general manager who's been in that position for over 20 years, well, there's a lot of guys he's going to like. There's a lot of guys he's going to bring back. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I I can think of one guy. It was like almost comical between, and I I'm sure he's on your list. Uh, he was like on a shuttle between Oakland and Texas. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. So, do you have an honorable mention list? Yeah, we got a lot of guys that uh, I think just deserve a mention. Uh, going for the way back is Paul Lindblad, who was a left-handed reliever. We traded away right before the World Series run, but lucky for him. Brought him back for 73 and 74. Uh, one of my favorites is a backup catcher named Tim Hosley. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you won't remember him, but he played on the 73 and 74 A's. He also played for the 1981 A's. Played for Billy Martin and for Dick Williams as a member of the A's. He's the only one who can say that. Wayne Gross, you know, longtime A's third baseman, actually came back at the end of his year for two games. Mike Gallego came back. Tony Phillips, as a 40-year-old in 1999, came back. Uh, Frank Thomas, you know, after the great 06, he went to the Blue Jays. He came back for a little bit in 08. Uh, One of my favorites is Sam Fold, who had two stints with the A's in the same season in 2014. Started the year with the A's, ended up going to the Twins. And then after all the trades, uh, you know, Cespedes trade and what have you, came back from the Twins for uh, Tommy Malone and some of the recent guys from those great early 2000 teams, Barry Zito came back, Jason Giambi came back, uh, Santiago Casilla, Rahe Davis. How about Trevor Cahill and Brett Anderson? I mean, there's a lot of guys who came back for another stint with the A's. Santiago Casilla, what was he? Uh, Yario Garcia, what was his, what was his original name? Jairo Garcia. Iro Garcia. <laughs> he came back with a different name. <laughs> he came back. He was three years older. Who knew? <laughs> All right. Number 10. Number 10 is the guy you were talking about. And that's Adam Rosales, who had a week 
in 2013. I just, uh, unbelievable week, uh, where he was waived by the A's on August 2nd and picked up by the Rangers. And obviously, Rosales is out of, out of options. Waived by the Rangers, selected by the A's on August 8th, and then waived again by the A's and picked up back by the Rangers on August 12th. Talk about that week. Rangers, A's, Rangers. But, you know, Adam Rosales had this early stint with the A's in, in 2012, um, 2010 to 2013. Actually ended up playing for the Rangers for a couple of years, but came back to the A's in 2017 and was a pretty big member of that A's club until eventually being traded to the Diamondbacks. But think about that in a 10-day span being waived and picked up three different times. Talk about your, your moving expenses. And really one of the nicest guys. Rosie is just salt to the earth, and he's back with the or- – and now he's back with the organization. Yeah. <laughs> Again. <laughs> you like yeah. a guy, you bring him back. Yeah, I, I think there's something – and he came from originally Cincinnati, right? Correct. I think there's something to that when you when you have the same guys in power. You know, David Forrest has been here for so long. Bean's been here forever, longest tenured executive in the business. I think there's something is to when you like a guy, you know, and you have the same guys running the club, I guess it makes sense why you keep bringing guys back. No, it really does. And you think about the A's front office and you, and you go back to really once Charlie Finley sold the team, you got Sandy Alderson to Billy Bean. And that's 40 years of consistency with those two guys pretty much running this ball club. So that's unheard of really in nowadays baseball. Um, And also you've had very few managers in that time as well. So a lot of consistency and a lot of guys you're going to like. Number nine. Number nine is a great A. He's going to have his number retired, and that's Dave Stewart. You know, Stewart was fantastic for the A's. Uh, four straight 20-win seasons, World Series MVP, great in the community, the whole deal. After the 92 season, he signs with the Blue Jays, a two-year deal, uh, goes to the World Series in 93. He's actually the ALCS MVP in 93, wins the World Series. 94, a little bit of a down year, uh, and the A's re-sign him in 95. And again, the same people in charge, Sandy Alderson, Tony LaRusso is the manager. You bring Stewart back. And it was funny because the year got off to a weird start. Anyway, they had already retired Raleigh Fingers, 34. So Dave Stewart decided to wear 35 in 1995. And he picked 35 because that was Bob Welch's number. And Bob Welch got cut by the A's in spring training and didn't make the team. So to honor Bob Welch, he gets to 35. But Stu in 95 really had nothing left. He, he made 16 starts. He's only 3-7 and seven with an ERA of 6.89. Uh, his last game was July 17th. And, and fittingly, if you know Dave Stewart, and his one big nemesis in the American League, and that was Greg Vaughn. He could not get Greg Vaughn out. And uh, in his last appearance, Greg Vaughn hit a ball about 550 feet, and that was it. Dave Stewart had to hang him up. But, you know, Stu has been part of this organization in one way or another as a player. Um, You know, now as a broadcaster, he was an agent for Eric Chavez. I mean, he's always been around. He's part of Oakland, and there's no doubt that Dave Stewart's legacy with the A's is one of greatness. You know, his story about learning the forkball from Sandy Koufax is one of the coolest. I'll never forget. He was on he was on our radio broadcast and he briefly got to talk about it because the the inning ended. So when I've had him on, I had him totally go through it. And I'm like, man, that's just greatness. Right. Sandy Koufax, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, teaching 
also one of the great pitchers and big game pitchers of all time, teaching him the forkball. And he still, to this day, stays in touch with Sandy Koufax. It's an amazing story. I love that. And that's the great thing about baseball, the stories and the lessons that get handed down from one generation to the next. And you really can connect the dots. And it's just, it's fantastic. And everything I've heard about Sandy Koufax, you know, a guy who keeps pretty much to himself and has kept to himself since retiring, but just what a fantastic human being he is. Yeah, Don Zimmer told a story that a, a guy, a security guard, I want to say it's when he's with the Yankees, a security guard comes to him in the clubhouse and says, hey, there, there's a guy who wants to talk to you out at the front door of the clubhouse. So Don Zimmer walks over. He goes, it's Sandy Koufax. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, this is one of the greatest pitchers of all time. All right, so number, we're number eight, right? Number eight, and that's uh, Mr. October, Reggie Jackson. All right, one of the getting one of the greatest athletics of all time. Guys, number nine retired, uh, traded to Baltimore after the '75 season. Has a one year with the Orioles. People forget he was really good for that Orioles team in '76. But then goes to the Yankees. Really becomes Mr. October. Then goes to the Angels. Now he's nearing the end of his career. He's 41 years old. The A's bring him back to be their left-handed DH, uh, platooning with a guy who we mentioned a few podcasts ago, uh, Ron Say, who was going to be the right-handed DH. Uh, but Reggie was basically going to take over for Dave Kingman. Wearing 44 now. Um, you know, in 1987, the ball was flying that year. And that was the year McGuire hit 49 homers. But all across baseball, it was kind of like what it is, what it was like last year. The ball was flying. Uh, but Reggie, only at 220 with 15 homers. Wasn't a lot of bats to be left. However, and I'll never forget this, Reggie in the midst of one of his huge slumps where he's striking out, the A's have a Monday night game, Monday night baseball, ABC, Al Michaels is there. Reggie comes up against the Angels, first at bat, it hits a long tater. It's just typical Reggie. When the lights are on, there's Reggie. When people are watching, Reggie shows up. Uh, it wasn't a great season for Reggie, but it was nice to have him back in 87 and to think that he was teammates with McGuire and Conseco and Steinbach and Stewart. I and mean, he was part of this team that would go on to win a championship. And I think a little Reggie rubbed off on those guys. 563 home runs, 1,702 RBIs, well over 800 OPS, an OPS plus for his career of 139. I know everybody just likes to say Ricky Henderson is the best Oakland A of all time. Uh, Reggie's got Reggie's got to be in the conversation. I mean, he was part of, even though he didn't play in the one World Series, he's still part of three straight championships. Yeah, I, I, there's no doubt. We're, we're, I, to me, it's Ricky, then you go Reggie, right? I mean, Ricky maybe because a little bit longer, and for what he did was so unique. I mean, Ricky was the greatest leadoff hitter of all time. Uh, Reggie was a showman. He was a superstar or in 1974 when Sports Illustrated called him a super duper star. Uh, he was Reggie and there was, there was really nobody like him. And he wasn't quite what he was when he went to New York uh, because the lights didn't shine as bright in Oakland. But he was so athletic and so talented, uh, just a tremendous baseball player. And even I said, when he came back in 87, not the same, right? The game had changed. Players were bigger and stronger. Reggie looked kind of tiny next to these guys. But he had a lot of advice to to impart to these players. And I think it did take hold. I think it played a part in the A's success going forward from there. Yeah. You forget he came up so young. 
he was an original Kansas City athletic. He was. He was at his first home run in Anaheim. Hit his last home run in Anaheim. Unbelievable career. Number seven. Number seven is a teammate from Reggie from the early 70s. That's Joe Rudy. Uh, you know, Joe Rudy, the eighth great left fielder, also played some first base in 74. Uh, was one of those first big money free agents when free agents became a thing, signing a big deal with the Angels. Uh, but in 1982, he comes back to the A's. And talk about age, right? Joe Rudy came back when he was 35 years old, but he seemed like he was 45 years old. He just, since he'd been around for so long and now had bopped around to so many teams, and he comes back, and you just think that he's a lot older than he was. He was only 35. And he pretty much trying to be the right-handed hitting first baseman, platooning with Jim Spencer. Uh, but Joe didn't have a lot left. Uh, he only had 212 with, with five homers. But he did something that very few baseball players have done. And he joins an elite group along with Ted Williams. And that's homering in your final major league at bat. And Joe Rudy did that October 3rd at Kansas City. A two-run homer off Larry Gurr that actually gave the A's a lead. Uh, pretty special. James, you're really, really good career. Uh, homering in your last at bat. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I wonder how many how many guys, do you, do you actually know how many guys have done that? I don't have the exact number, but it, it's for a long time, it was just a handful. Uh, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> in your last at bat. Uh, that's great. Number six. Number six. Uh, tremendous story. Uh, it's Mike Norris. You know, Mike Norris, who originally came up with the A's in 75 and threw a shutout in his major league appearance and then the injuries, uh, came back in 1980. And if you're a listener to this show, you know he should have won the Cy Young in 1980. Um, the three voters who left him off the ballot completely, still not over it 41 years later. Uh, but Mike Norris, after 83, with the arm injuries, was pretty much out of baseball. And then there were drug issues, off the off the field stuff. It was keeping him away from the game, so he didn't pitch after '83. But all of a sudden, in 1989, he's showing up in the A's AAA team. And in 1990, this is the defending World Series champions. Mike Norris makes the team out of spring training. A guy who hadn't pitched in the majors in seven years makes the World Champion Oakland A's. A great story. He ends up pitching in 14 games. He had a 1-0 record, an ERA, a respectable ERA out of the bullpen of 3.00. Unfortunately, they had a roster situation where they had a Rule 5 guy, Reggie Harris. They didn't want to lose Reggie Harris, so he took the roster spot of Mike Norris. But for those 14 games in that first half of 1990, quite a story, Mike Norris making his way back to the A's. Number five. Number five, Jose Canseco, right? The rookie of the year, the MVP, Mr. 40-40, gets traded off the on-deck circle in 1992. But he comes back to the A's in 1997. He's going to be part of Powerball with Mark McGuire and Geronimo Barroa, Jose Canseco. The A's are just going to do nothing but hit home runs. He's going to be a big part of it. Well, Jose didn't really care about baseball in 1997. It was for a guy who didn't care, he still hit 23 homers and 74 drove in 74 runs, but he only played seven games after July 31st, none after August 26th, and it just seemed like a failed experiment. Uh, he was injured. Again, he didn't really care. He cared more about playing golf that year than playing baseball. 
But then in 1998, he goes and signs with the Blue Jays and hits 46 homers, steals 29 bases. It was like Jose cared again. But he did come back in 97. It was going to be a glorious reunion of the Bash Brothers. Just didn't quite work out. I love the guy. He was one of my, he's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, and I got to, when they, they did that documentary on him, I got to host it with him and, and the directors. And <laughs> Jose's an interesting cat, but man, I, I know steroids and everything, but he had a hell of a career. He, he really did. And the fact that, you know, again, after this age year in 97, where it looked like he was done, to come back and have a huge year with the Blue Jays, played very well at the Rays, won a World Series with the Yankees in 2000. Uh, probably got blackballed because by the time he retired after 03, I mean, he was still hitting home runs. There was still a place for him in the game, but nobody wanted to put up with Jose Canseco at that part. Uh, he knew what he was doing as far as the steroids. He wrote about it in his book. There was, you know, there was a secret uh, science to his madness, um, and it paid off. And, you know, from what we saw as an A's fans when he first came up in those first few seasons was just this, this specimen of a ball player. The year he won the MVP is truly one of the greatest years we have ever seen in baseball, where he hit 307, 42 jacks, 124 RBIs. He had a slugging of 569, an OPS plus of 170. Cody, OPS plus 170. Would you say that's any good? That's a 70 above league average. I think that's uh, like almost superstardom right there for Jose. I mean, that's, uh, Feldy, that's one of the greatest years of all time. It was. And, and Jose did something. You talk about his batting average, and we've talked about it on this show. He had a two-strike approach that when they got two strikes on him, he'd spread out a little bit on the box. He'd actually choke up a little bit, and he'd try and put the ball in play. And he was so strong, and his hands were so fast. He was still going to hit for home. He still hit for power, but he was also going to hit for average. And that's how you're able to hit 300. He was, he was such a complete ball player. He was a good outfielder. In 88, playing right field, he had, he had played a little bit in 87 and 86 in left field. And they actually brought Joe Rudy in to help him learn how to be an outfielder. Joe Rudy, who learned how to be an outfielder from Joe DiMaggio. Again, we talk about these things being passed along, DiMaggio to Rudy to Conseco. Uh, and it paid off in 88. Because Jose, talking about not caring in 97, in 88, Jose cared a lot. He wanted to be the best baseball player. He wanted to be the man, and he was. And, oh, yeah, I don't want to gloss over. He also had 40 stolen bases in that season, first 44, yeah, which was <laughs> incredible. Hey, whenever I'm in Steve Vucinich's office and I see that picture of Joe DiMaggio, Joe DiMaggio looks so odd in an A's uniform. Yeah, there, and there's been some great photos that I've seen recently with him in the dugout and, you know, the ball players around him, Reggie and Rudy, just hanging on every word. And you imagine traveling around with Joe DiMaggio and the stories that he's going to tell. I just that would be spectacular. Yeah, I mean, he's married to Marilyn Monroe. I mean, <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. He was married to Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> he's Joe D. I mean, he's Joe DiMaggio. I mean, I can't like like when you when it, it's like you know when like if Ted Williams was your manager or you're hanging out with Joe DiMaggio. I mean, it's just like it's like crazy. All right, Man, number uh, number four. Number four is a, is a bullpen guy who actually had three stints with the A's, and that's Jim Corsi. And we always see Jim at the 89 World Series reunion. Uh, he's always showing up. And 
He didn't pitch in the postseason for the A's that year, but he was a key member of the A's bullpen in 88 and 89. Came back in 92. He was fantastic. A 1.43 ERA. He was great friends with Eckersley. And he was one of those bullpen glue guys. Right? We, we've talked about it and we've heard about it now with Usmero Petit, what he means to be in the bullpen and what he does to the, the other guys of the pen. That was kind of Jim Corsi. And everybody loved him. Um, came back for a third time with the A's in 95 and 96. 96, he was 6-0. and Just such a good guy with a little sinker ball. An important member of the A's bullpen on three different occasions. Yeah, you know, that World Series, because of getting interrupted, uh, you know, with the earthquake and it only went four games, it basically was like two two-game sets. Not everybody got in. No, no. And Jim actually wasn't even on the roster that year. Uh, the A's were able to take much more hitters and bullpen pitchers knowing that their starters were going to go deep. But, you know, in 92, an 18 to one the ALS this was an injury-riddled team, and he was huge in the bullpen. And I think – and well, I know if, if Jim Corsi ended up pitching game four, the, the game they lost, the, they blew the six to two lead. Uh, that game has a different outcome. Uh, if they had not gone to Jeff Parrott and gone to Jim Corsi, it would have been different. Did you did you did you actually say starters go deep? What 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 was that? Yeah. Yeah. It was this thing where the pitcher would pitch as long as he was effective. It was a whole thing that happened. Yeah. 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 It's in the books. You need to read up on it. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> Number three is Stan Javier. Uh, Stan Javier, who was acquired in the Ricky trade, um, the first Ricky trade, I should say, uh, member of the A's, 86-90. He's on the World Series team in 88-89. In the middle of 90, the A's needed a second baseman. Uh, And they ended up trading Stan Javier to the Dodgers for Willie Randolph. But Javier then comes back to the A's in 94 and 95 as a free agent and has two really terrific years in 94 it's a career high 10 homers steals 24 bases in 95 he has a career high 56 runs batted in steals 36 bases a Stan Javier coming back with such a more complete baseball player you know a son of a former big leaguer it took him a little while he made the big leagues young but that 94 95 era with the A's really really important player on it you know the mid 90s A's teams get lost because they were Pretty nondescript, not a lot to write home about. But those two years, Javier was really, really good. Yeah, he had a left hand. I'm looking at it. He had 17 years. I mean, that's a long time in Major League Baseball. And isn't he one of the few guys that played for both the A's and the Giants? One of the few. The number's growing larger and larger every time we speak. And, you know, he hit the first home run in interleague play when he was playing for the Giants. He hit it in Texas. Um, you know, it was just a really good career. For a guy that I'm always surprised when we do have the 89 reunion, San Javier is never there. Um, I'm not sure why. I don't know the story behind that, but it would be fun to see San Javier again because he was a big part of two different eras of A's teams. Yeah, he ended, up making, uh, he ended up making some good loot for his time, so good for him. All right, number two. Number two is Jed Lowry, and we know he's back for the third time, but you think about it, his first stint with the A's, you know, he's acquired from the Astros in a five-player trade. He signs as a shortstop. He's the A shortstop in 2013 and 2014. You know, a position the A's needed to fill, right? Because you go back to 2012, that's the Cliff Pennington, Stephen Drew playing shortstop. But Lowry settles down that position in 13 and 14. And we see at the end of 14, he doesn't have the range quite there anymore. Uh, the A's knew they were going to make a change. And that's how they bring in Marcus Simeon. And they end up, Lowry goes back to the Astros. 
So now the A's reacquire him from the Astros, and he has three seasons with the A's, the last two which were fantastic, right? 17 and 18, he's an all-star in 18. The offensive numbers are off the charts, especially for a second baseman. And that was the key. He came back as a second baseman. His feet got healthy. His range was good. His arm was good. He was a solid, solid second baseman for the A's. You know, then he signs a free agent deal with the Mets. Nothing but hurt. And gets what, the nine plate appearances. Uh, really never got to play because of the injuries. Back with the A's again, trying to recapture that magic. And, and good for him. Um, if he's healthy and he's, be, if he's able to be on the field, uh, and not be hurt, he's got a chance to make this ball club as their second baseman. Yeah, I'm a big Jed fan, and we recently had recently had him on the show. Welcome him back, and you know, you know, from his time at Stanford to you know the couple stints with the A's, he says this feels like home. And you know, I mean, he hits 49 doubles in 2017. That's the A's record, right? Yep. And then 2018, he follows up with 37 doubles and 99 RBIs. I, I know it's a big if, but if he can be healthy, I mean, he literally would be, be your best all-around hitter on the A's, wouldn't you say? I, I would, and he kind of takes that time in the Stella position in the lineup. A guy's not going to strike out that much. He's going to put the ball in play. Lowry being a switch hitter is another advantage. Uh, if he's healthy and he can play, I, I think he makes a team because of these intangibles that come with it. He was a good second baseman. He was a great second baseman, but the A's don't really have the great defensive second baseman anyway. So if he can man the position adequately enough, he's going to make up the difference in his bat. The other thing that's important about Jed Lowry is he can impart wisdom to other players about hitting. And that's a big thing, right? The, the, the talking and going through things and improving and helping your teammates. Jed Lowry is that guy who can help his teammates become better. So I, I think Jed Lowry, if he's healthy, is going to make this team and he's going to be an impact player for them. He is the only guy in the Bob Melvin era that Bob put in the number three hole every game. Bob usually changes lineups all over the place. But when Jed was rolling, he put Bob put Jed in the three hole every game. Yeah, you know, a professional hitter who always gave you a good at bat. Uh, he was clutch. Just, it's an important you know, it's important to have guys like that in the lineup. We saw the difference time with Stella made. You know, an A's team last year that did nothing but strike out. All of a sudden, they brought in a professional hitter who didn't strike out, and he had the trickle-down effect. Everybody in the lineup improved because of it. And that's, again, the impact that Lowry can have if he's healthy and able to play. Well, I think we all know who's number one. And you, you don't think of him as a Boston Red Sox. You don't think of him as an L.A. Dodger. You don't think of him as a, as a as a angel or a padre. I mean, <laughs> all the different places he played. I mean, it's hard to name all the places Ricky Henderson played, but I'm sure he's your number one. He is. He is. the former Newark Bear, uh, <laughs> Ricky Henderson. You know, four stints with the A's. The first one, seventy nine to eighty five. Young Ricky, the setting the single season record, Ricky. A trade of the Yankees comes back in 89. Now it's the World Series winning Ricky, MVP Ricky, stole all-time stolen base leader Ricky. In 93, he gets traded to the Blue Jays in, in August at the trade deadline, but re-signs with the A's in 94 and 95. Tremendous. Hits 300 his last year in 95 with the A's. Then he goes off in you know, Padres, Angels, uh, comes back to the A's in 98 as a free agent. 
And the 98 years, you got to look at, he's 39 years old. And he leads the league with 66 steals as a 39-year-old. He walked 118 times. He played 152 games. They're always talking about Ricky, you know, Ricky, Ricky's jaking it. He's taking days off. He played 152 games as a 39-year-old and scored 101 runs. You know, Ricky, yeah, his batting average isn't great, but look at his on-base percentage. Look at the runs scored. It's Ricky Henderson. 39 years old was as good as any leadoff hitter who played that season. Can you imagine? He's playing. It's When I think of guys like him and Nolan Ryan, I mean, I'm 48 years old. Ricky was playing at 44. I like I can't even imagine 44. Nolan Ryan was like like 46 or 47. I mean, some of these all-time greats, it's amazing how they just the longevity. He had Ricky had a 25-year career. Now, I will say this though, and I found this fascinating. Cody and I are down at the winter meetings in San Diego, and we have Sandy Alderson on. And Sandy said they had to have like a, a group talk on whether to bring Ricky back for the 1989 Oakland Athletics. Now, normally you'd look at the stats and you'd say, well, that's a no-brainer. You can reacquire the best leadoff man of all time. But they actually had to have a conversation. Do we really want to bring this guy back? I, I, was, I was floored by that. Yeah, well, uh, you got time for a quick Ricky story about that? Yeah. So they, they do have this big discussion. Will Ricky fit in? You know, he's in New York, and there's trouble there. He's, he's always complaining, yada, yada, and the Ricky reputation. So they make the trade, and the first thing he does is he goes into Tony Russo's office. And Tony said, you know, we're going to let you run. you got the green light, but I'm going to go over the signs because there's going to be some times where we don't want you to run, right, because we have we got power hitters up. We don't, want, we don't want to take the bat out of their hands. So every once in a while, we're going to give you the – we're going to give you the sign, but then we're going to take it off. And this is the sign when we take off the steel sign. And Ricky says, yeah, yeah. It's great, Tony. You know, whatever. Um, so we're going to have no problems here. Ricky's going to follow directions. No problem. So the first thing happens, Ricky gets on first base. Canseco's up. They give him the sign, and they, they do the, the takeoff sign. And next thing you know, Ricky steals second. And Tony's fuming in the dugout. Fuming. It's like, I, we just had this conversation about this. So they go through it again. He's on second base. He's leading off. He goes through the sign. They put the takeoff sign on. Next thing you know, Ricky's stealing third. <laughs> and now Tony's about to lose his mind. Right? Conseco singles. Ricky scores. He comes in the dugout. He's high-fiving everybody. Everybody's happy. He gets to Tony, and Tony's just staring at him. And he's saying, what about that conversation we just had? You were going to follow the sign. You were going to do what you were told. And Ricky goes, I did. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, he gave me the takeoff sign, so I took off. <laughs> hey, you, you, you know what was, for me, always crazy was Ricky went to every Raider game. And Ricky, yeah. you're talking about a Hall of Famer. He's one of the – I mean, if you're going to have a conversation of all-time greats, he's got to at least be in the conversation. And he'd oh, yeah. be – He'd be hanging out in the West Side Club during Raider games. And I'm like, I'm like, this guy's one of the all-time greatest players. And he's just sitting here having cocktails around all the Raider fans. It was amazing. And he wanted to be a football player growing up. I mean, he played football at Oakland Tech. He set numerous records uh, in the East Bay Athletic League playing for Oakland Tech. 
but it was his mama who didn't want him playing football because she was afraid he was going to get hurt and wanted him to play baseball. And, and mama was right. You know, Bobby Henderson led him the right way, kept him healthy, let him play till he was 44, made a lot of money. Uh, but he would have been a tremendous football player. With the way his legs were built and his speed, he would have been just such a load to bring down. It would have been amazing to watch. Yeah, they talk how he's been really good with his money. He made uh, just a little over forty-four point five million. He was one of the he was one of the guys in this new generation that we saw, like the late eighties, early nineties. Whether it was Conseco or it was Will Clark or Kirby Puckett, Tony Gwynn. This is when guys started getting a couple million dollars a year. That 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 was that first generation of guys really starting to make some big money. Yeah, he was the highest paid player there for like two weeks in 1990 when he, when he re-signed with the A's, um, he was really good with his money. Ricky was no fool. Uh, he was very smart with what he did, uh, the way he took care of his body, the way he took care of his money. There's a reason he got to play for as long as he did. And, uh, you know, he gets a bad rap for some of the things he says and some of the ways he's acted and he was portrayed. Uh, you know, the great story about getting the bonus check with the athletics is a million-dollar bonus check. Uh, two months go by and it's not cash. So the A's call him and they say, Ricky, we gave you this check. You haven't cashed it. What's going on? He goes, well, I framed it and put it on the wall. True story. It's Ricky. That's how proud he was of the money he was making. Uh, but he was very smart with, with his, with his dough and boy, play that long at that high level. I mean, even after he left the A's in 98, you know, 99, he goes to the Mets, goes to the postseason, goes to the Mariners in 2000 goes to the postseason just just a winner yeah i mean it's just all the teams he played for just a a great list my friend thank you so much that was wonderful all right thanks tony this has been a presentation of the oakland athletics hey rob bradford here you guys know i'm always up for a good mvp story and one of the best stories is wasabi technology wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the red Sox and nhl teams like the bruins and vancouver canucks even the liverpool football club is getting in on wasabi action so why is wasabi the mvp well wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.